0: Jimmy Akin's Mysterious World is brought to you by the Star Quest Production Network and is made possible by our many generous patrons. If you'd like to support the podcast, please visit sqpn.com slash give. You're listening to episode 51 of Jimmy Akin's Mysterious World, where we look at mysteries, from the Twin Perspectives of Faith and Reason. In this episode, we're talking about Bohemian Grove. I'm Dom Bettinelli, and joining me today is Jimmy Aiken. Hi, Jimmy. Howdy, do Dom. So, folks, before we get into things, I just want to remind you to like, comment, subscribe. So, like this episode where you find it on Facebook, Retweet it on Twitter if you see it there. Send us a comment. Write a comment on Facebook if you if you see it there. Write a comment on our website. Subscribe to the, the podcast if you're just listening to this like online somewhere or someone sent you a file. Be sure to subscribe so you can get all of our episodes as they come out. And if you listen to this, if you're listening on YouTube, subscribe to our YouTube channel and make sure to hit the bell to get notifications when we post a new episode. And above all, please share the podcast with folks. Uh, that's how we're we're growing the podcast community is growing by leaps and bounds. We love to have interaction with you, and we love to share this with more and more people. So please share the podcast with folks as you listen. So, Bohemian Grove. Every year in mid-July, right about now, a secretive group of politicians, businessmen, and artists, all men, gather at a private campground in Northern California for two weeks. The campground is presided over by a 40-foot statue of an owl, The men dress in robes and perform strange ceremonies, including what some have called a symbolic human sacrifice. Critics claim that they represent a sinister conspiracy that's up to no good. The camp and the two-week event at it is called Bohemian Grove. Bohemian Grove is, as I said, going on right now. So that's what we'll be talking about on this episode of Jimmy Akin's Mysterious World. So, Jimmy, let's start with the basics. What is Bohemian Grove?
1: In the most literal sense, Bohemian Grove is a campground that's owned by a San Francisco men's club named the Bohemian Club. Okay, so what is the Bohemian Club? It's a men's club that was founded in San Francisco in 1872. They have a clubhouse in San Francisco at the corner of Taylor and Post Streets. The original members were journalists from the San Francisco Chronicle. They added artists and musicians as honorary members and then as full members. They also added local businessmen to pay the bills. And guess what? The businessmen took over the organization because he who pays the piper calls the tune. (laughs) And eventually, the businessmen added lots of politicians, too, because if you're a businessman, you want influence with the politicians.
0: Right. So why Bohemian Club? What's the significance of that?
1: In the 1800s, bohemian was slang. It was a slang term for newspaper reporters. It also indicates a person who practices an unconventional lifestyle, often associated with an interest in music and the art.
0: That's the definition I'm most familiar with.
1: So yeah. So other than the literal one of the bohemia, that's where they speak German in Europe. (laughs) Exactly.
0: So uh, how, how big is this? How many members does the bohemian club have today?
1: Unclear. Some reports indicate around 2,500 members. Other reports indicate around 1,000 men attend the Bohemian Grove gathering, but that may not represent the full membership. Oh, also, the membership is uh, largely but not exclusively Republican. It also consists of businessmen, politicians, and artists who apparently are required to by their bylaws to be at least 10% of the members, at least 10% have to be artists.
0: I'm going to guess journalists. Are, there's not some requirement of a member of journalists anymore. <laughs> no, there
1: are, there are journalists who are members.
0: Okay. So what, what do you have to do to become a member of the Bohemian Club? Say I wanted to join, what would, what would be the requirements for me?
1: Well, the first requirement is you have to be a man. And since it's a private club, you also apparently have to be sponsored by two unrelated members. You have to pass a screening where they check you out. You have to pay an entrance fee, which in the 90s, the 1990s, was reportedly $10,000. And then monthly dues, at least at that time, were one hundred and twenty a month. And you have to wait until there's an opening, uh, which in those, that mostly happens by current members dying. People tend not to quit once they join. In the 1990s, the waiting list was said to be 10 to 15 years long, though I've seen it claimed it's even longer, like 30 years, though. I find that hard to believe. I find it hard to believe that someone would apply, someone would apply when they're 30 and not get in until they're 60.
0: Yeah, well, I have heard people who, when their children are born, sign them up on a waiting list for Patriots season tickets, uh, mm. which is <laughs> nearly as long. So maybe okay. that's what's going on. So who who belongs to the Bohemian
1: Club? Reportedly, they've included every Republican president since 1923, although according to another report, it's since the 1960s, though presidents never attend the summer gathering while they're in office. Uh, It's too long, you know, two weeks. They're not going to do that. And it's going to cause a lot of attention to be drawn to the club. One exception seems to be, however, Donald Trump. Interesting. It appears that he is not a member that he has not attended as a guest, and he has not gotten Bohemian Club support for his election. He's too much of an outsider compared to the establishment Republicans who are Bohemian. So whatever you think of Donald Trump, he doesn't seem to be a Bohemian Grover.
0: So uh, who who else do we know belongs to the the club?
1: Well, known members have included Richard Nixon, Ronald Reagan, George H.W. Bush, George W. Bush, Henry Kissinger, Walter Cronkite. He would be a non-Republican member. Charles Schwab. Ambrose Bierce, the 19th century author who disappeared mysteriously and may be the subject of a future episode. Mark Twain, another author, and Jack London, another author.
0: Do non-members ever get to attend Bohemian functions?
1: Yeah, apparently so. Members can invite guests to come to the Bohemian Grove gathering in July. Since current member lists are private, we used to have older member lists that were public, but the current ones are private. That makes it hard to distinguish between who's a member and who's just an attendee. But some who have been either members or guests include Oscar Wilde, the British playwright, Donald Rumsfeld, former Secretary of Defense, Colin Powell, former Secretary of State, Newt Gingrich, Dwight Eisenhower, Dick Cheney, uh, Robert Gates, the Secretary of Defense and CIA director, and Harry Shearer, the comedian and voice actor from The simpsons, and this is spinal Tap that's significant
0: <laughs> uh, I'll, yeah. maybe I'll bring that up in a, in a bit i have I have somewhere where I might might bring that back up again uh, yeah th- that coincidence so uh but let's talk about the 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 club has some interesting symbols. What can you tell us about those?
1: One of the most prominent symbols is the owl, and it's often referred to as the Owl of Bohemia. Some have connected it with the Owl of Minerva or Athena, the goddess of wisdom in Greco-Roman mythology. You'll see the owl, you know, like on their club logo at their clubhouse, but then you will they also have the huge 40-foot cement statue of it at Bohemian Grove. They also have a slogan, which is, Weaving Spiders Come Not Here?, and that's a quotation from Shakespeare's play A Midsummer Night's Dream. It occurs in a scene where the fairies are singing their queen Titania a lullaby so she can go to sleep and not be disturbed, and the fairies warn away anything that might disturb the queen's slumber. According to the Bohemians, the slogan "Weaving spiders come not here" means is meant as a warning to their members not to try to conduct business at meetings. The point is to get away from business and just relax. The group also has a patron saint, St. John of Nepomuk, who was a 14th century saint from Bohemia, who apparently was martyred to protect the seal of confession. Apparently, he was picked as the patron saint of the club, both because of the fact he was from Bohemia and because he honored confidentiality, something that the club values.
0: So let's talk about the Bohemian Grove event. What is that all about?
1: Well, every summer, the club has a camping event at the site known as Bohemian Grove. This campsite is in the Redwood Forest of Sonoma County, California, north of San Francisco, and it covers more than four square miles of woodland. So it's a big camp. The site has various points of interest, including an artificial lake, the 40-foot-tall concrete statue of the Owl of Bohemia. It's also got a wooden statue of St. John Nepomuk holding his finger over his mouth, making the shh symbol. It has a dining area with seats for 1,500 people, a stage with seating for 2,000 people, and the second largest outdoor pipe organ in the world, Hmm. as well as over 100 cabins known as camps where the attendees sleep. The event begins in mid-July. It covers two weeks and three weekends. So there's like a leading weekend and then two following weeks, including the weekends. Nobody but members and invited guests are allowed. And in recent years, the club has stepped up security following a series of penetrations of the event, including by people like Alex Jones of InfoWars.com fame. Can women be invited as guests? No, the only way a woman is officially allowed on the site during the event is if she's working as an employee. And the club tried to prevent even that. But in 1987, the Supreme Court of the state of California required them to start hiring female employees. And so today, women are employed in the food preparation areas and the parking area. However, they're not allowed past a certain point. The attendees do a lot of drinking and consequently, a lot of public urination on the Redwoods. The, and in fact, this was cited in the club's legal proceedings as a reason not to hire women because of all of the relieving oneself in the forest that was going on.
0: Therefore, the public exposure. So, OK, yeah. what what goes on at the campsite the rest of the year?
1: they have other events during the course of the year, including a June gathering known as Spring Jinx. And Jinx is kind of one of their words we'll be talking about. It's kind of a celebration. Also, members of the club can use the facility whenever it isn't otherwise booked. And then they can bring their wives and families, though the women have to leave the property before it gets too late in the day.
0: So they can they can use it during the day, but it's not someplace they can stay overnight at.
1: Not overnight. They, I think they can stay till like 9 p.m. or something, and then they have to get out.
0: So let's let's talk about the summer event. Uh, walk, let's, we can walk through it a piece at a time. What's the first thing that happens
1: uh, when they get there? The members and guests arrive and settle into their cabins or camps, as they're called. These are divided into groups of people that have similar backgrounds. Some of the prominent camps include the Hillbillies, which is a group of powerful people from Texas, including the Bush family. Hillside camp includes military figures like the Joint Chiefs of Staff. Lost Angels includes bankers and media figures. Mandalay includes former presidents and politicians with defense contracts. I should say presidents and politicians, former presidents and politicians with defense contractors. Owl's Nest also includes former presidents as well as military figures and defense contractors. Stowaways includes oilmen, including the Rockefeller family. And Uplifters include corporate executives.
0: It, the names kind of reminds me of like summer camp as a kid. You know the cabin. Yeah,
1: you know Slytherin, Hufflepuff, that <laughs> kind of stuff.
0: That's right. That's right. Okay. So, the what's the first major event that the annual gathering has?
1: It's a ceremony or play called the Cremation of Care. It occurs on the first Saturday night of the event. It was first staged in 1881. So back in the 19th century, which actually explains a lot about it, as we'll see. The ceremony involves an effigy that is shaped like a man. It's made of a metal framework that's, in, that's then been wrapped with paper. And the effigy represents dull care, a symbol of the worries and anxieties of the marketplace. So what happens in the play is a ferryman punts across the artificial lake, bringing dull care to the foot of the owl statue. Uh, the ferryman then delivers dull care to a group of robed figures, some of whom are carrying torches. There's some dialogue with the leader of the robed men intent on casting out dull care so he won't interfere with the party that everybody's going to have, you know, the symbol of don't let the business anxieties intrude on our fun. The idea is that the members may not be burdened. The members may be burdened with care at other times of year, but not here. To add drama, there's a recorded voice of dull care, and he says he spits on their proceedings. But the leader asks the Owl of Bohemia to help them, and they set fire to dull care. And music and fireworks accompanies all of this. Then everybody cheers, and having banished their ordinary worries and anxieties, the party begins for two weeks.
0: What do they do on a day-to-day basis during this whole event, these two weeks?
1: A lot of partying with uh, drinking reportedly beginning early in the morning for some. They have their meals in common. They also have a bunch of entertainment. Sometimes they've apparently like had Elvis impersonators out there. Every day at noon, they have a concert, which, you know, uh, remember the involvement of the arts community in all this. Every day at 1230, they have what are called lakeside talks where someone speaks about his area of expertise. Here are some examples of lakeside talks from recent years. Jeffrey Tubin, a legal analyst for CNN, gave a lakeside talk on the Supreme Court in the age of Obama. Rupert Murdoch, the head of News Corp, gave a lakeside talk on the future of news. Thomas Metz, a U.S. Army Lieutenant General, gave a talk on defeating IEDs, Improvised Explosive devices as a weapon of strategic influence. Charles Elaki, director of the Jet Propulsion Laboratory, gave a talk on exploring Mars and searching for life in the universe. And Kenneth Edelman, a policy analyst, gave a talk called Remembering Reagan, One Insider's Account. So a kind of memoir of uh, Ronald Reagan. Are there other major events they hold during these weeks? Yeah, um, there are at least two, and these are known as the low jinx and the high jinx. The low jinks are a comedy performance put on by the members for the members. It's reportedly got a lot of campy and somewhat naughty humor that's described as, you know, sophomoric college fraternity humor. Because no women are allowed in the facility, some of the men dress up as women to play the women's parts. In The Hijinks, which are also known as The Grove Play, they do a much more elaborate and serious theatrical production. The Hijinks are held on the final weekend of The Gathering, and it's reported that the budget for The Grove Play is more than $100,000, and that's just for a single performance.
0: Wow. That's a, it, a lot.
1: <laughs> yeah, it's uh, it's written and performed by the members. I mean, it's not like a committee writing it. There's one guy who writes it, but then they perform it as a group. We have actually a fairly extensive list of Grove plays. They have included Druid Jinx, about Christianity triumphing over, Jude- over Druidism and winning the Druids away from the practice of bloody sacrifice. Faust Jinx, which was a version of the opera Faust. St. Patrick at Tara. The Green Knight, I G H T, Apollo, a music drama, St. Francis of Assisi, Ivanhoe, Johnny Appleseed, Don Quixote, St. John of Bohemia, that's another name for St. John of Nepomuk, Noah, Galileo, Robert the Bruce, Marco Polo, Merlin, and The Count of Monte Cristo. And then when the weekend they perform the Grove play is over, they all go home. So it's
0: the last thing that they do?
1: Last big thing, yeah.
0: What are the theories about Bohemian Grove? What is the way we think about this?
1: According to the Grovers, they are an innocent men's club that likes to get together at a beautiful woodland camp and forget their worries and have a party for their summer vacation. According to their critics, or at least some of their critics, they are a sinister conspiracy with the specific charges varying from one critic to another.
0: So what are the the charges that the critic make?
1: Well, they tend to concern three areas, religion, power, and crime. When it comes to religion, they are charged with performing occult ceremonies involving witchcraft, paganism, satanism, and simulated human sacrifice. When it comes to power, it's claimed that they are forming illicit business and governmental alliances that will harm the public, rig elections, and control world affairs. And when it comes to crime, they are sometimes or at least have been charged with murder, use of courtesans involving both sexes and sex abuse.
0: So what can we say about this? You know, looking at this from reason perspective, what can we say about this? So let's look at each set of charges.
1: What about the charges dealing with religion? These largely center on the cremation of care ceremony that kicks off the event. It involves a lot of pseudo religious trappings, you know, robes, torches, invoking the owl of Bohemia for help, and some rather overblown dramatic dialogue. And that's really not unexpected when you consider how it originated. The first version was 1881. And back then, men's clubs would do these elaborate, over dramatic ceremonies with semi mystical elements in them for fun. You know, that was just, it's kind of campy 19th century men's drama stuff. But that doesn't make it an actual occult ceremony. In order for it to be actually an occult religious ceremony, there has to be religious intent for purposes of comparison. I mean, suppose you've got some Christian actors who are performing a play where two characters get married. You know, happens in lots of plays. Sometimes it happens multiple times in a single Shakespeare play. Well. As long as everybody knows this is just a play and the actors aren't really exchanging matrimonial consent, then they have zero chance of being married by the performance. They just they don't have the right intent. There's no marital intent. There's no religious intent. They are not married. And so for the cremation of care to be something more than a goofy performance, the participants would need to have religious intent. They would need to believe things like the Owl of Bohemia is more than a statue or a symbol. It's a a real supernatural being that could help them. Uh, They would need to believe that dull care is more than just a symbol of daily worries, that it's a real evil spirit they are exorcising with this ritual. And I I personally, I find it, I, I acknowledge the optics of this are weird and don't help them. I mean, you watch Alex Jones's video that he took of this ceremony with his commentary over it, talking about how sinister everything is. Yeah, it seems sinister, but I find it hard to believe that the politicians and businessmen here really believe that the owl of Bohemia is a is a real supernatural spirit or that dull care is. Most of the members have historically been Christian, and today, you know, a lot of them are secularists. Reason suggests that this isn't an occult religious rite. It's just a goofy, overly dramatic way of saying, let's forget our worries and have a party.
0: Are there other charges connected with the ceremony?
1: Yeah, Alex Jones and other critics have said that the ceremony involves Satanism, Moloch worship, witchcraft, and Druidism, but there is no invocation of Satan. And nobody is a Satanist if they're not invoking Satan. That's just an unfair charge. Similarly, there's no invocation of Moloch. Molech was an ancient or is thought to have been an ancient deity that people would sacrifice children to. And you will hear Alex Jones in his video as well as others claiming claiming that Molech was a horned god and that the owl statue is horned, but this isn't true. It appears that some in the ancient world may have sacrificed children to a deity named Molech, but even that's actually debated by scholars, but in the cremation of care ceremony, dull care is not depicted as a child. You know, it's, it's like a man who's threatening businessmen. And the owl statue actually is not horned. So we just don't have the points of comparison. And furthermore, if Molech existed, we have zero evidence it was an owl god. So you just got multiple points of dissimilarity. Also, dull care is not depicted as being sacrificed to the owl. He's just depicted as being killed so he can't spoil the party. So given that there's no apparent belief in magic on the part of the attendees, the ceremony can't really be considered witchcraft. The only charge of this sort that has any plausibility is the claim that it has some kind of connection to Druidism. And in the 19th century, there were a bunch of men's groups that made up fake rituals inspired by Druidism. So I can't rule out that's part of what inspired this, but to be authentically Druid, One has to have a religious intent for the ceremony because Druidism was a religion. And it doesn't seem this ceremony has religious intent. Also, the Grovers have staged plays celebrating the triumph of Christianity over Druidism and how they used Christian brotherly love to win the Druids away from bloody sacrifice. Also, they did all those plays like St. Francis of Assisi and St. John of Bohemia and St. Patrick at Tara. This doesn't speak of a non Christian, of serious non Christian activity here. Then Alex Jones and others have interpreted some of this. I really find this problematic because rather than just taking the text of the ceremony at face value, Alex Jones will reinterpret it, as will some other critics in a way to make it sound more sinister than what the words actually say. For example, they will interpret dull care not as the casting off of anxieties, but as casting off of one's conscience. And so Jones at one point says in his video that the businessmen throw off their cares, their conscience for what they have to do in the world. And that makes it sound like they're here, they're They're getting rid of their consciences so they can go out in the world and do bad things. So they
0: don't have to care about other people.
1: Yeah. And so this may be due to the fact that in recent word, in recent decades, the word care has become associated more with compassion than worry. But the context of the play shows this is not a casting off of conscience for what they have to do in the world. The text specifically indicates that while dull care may plague them out in the world, he won't be able to affect them here at the camp, so they're not stealing their consciences to go do bad stuff in the world. It's clear they just want to—they want to forget their worries and have a party. But Jones is misrepresenting that, and I have to wonder how deliberate that is. It may just be deliberate. Also, he and others—he at one point in the video—he speculates the effigy of Dull Care might be a real person in there. But he later admits that's not the case. Finally, Jones and others, when they do admit that dull care is just an effigy, have made a big deal out of the ceremony, claiming it involves a symbolic human sacrifice. But as I've noted, dull care is not pictured as being a sacrifice to a deity. In the text of the ceremony, he's just being killed so he can't spoil a party. And he isn't being sacrificed, he's being lynched. I mean, maybe you could say there are sacrificial overtones to some of this, but it's not obvious from what I've been able to tell from the text. Also, dull care is not a human. He is a symbolic representation of anxiety that happens to be personified in human form. But to symbolically commit a human sacrifice, you'd have to symbolically kill a human. And dull care is not a human that is being symbolically killed. He's anxiety that is being symbolically killed. So it's unfair to represent this as a symbolic human sacrifice as, oh man, I wish we could really do a human sacrifice, but we'll have to just do it symbolically. That's not what's happening here. So in 2000, the year 2000, Alex Jones infiltrated Bohemian Grove and he got footage of the cremation of care ceremony. We'll have a link to that in the video, in the show uh, to that video in the show notes. But if you watch it, Be sure and compare what Jones is saying with what the performers in the play are actually doing and notice how Jones is misrepresenting stuff and making up interpretations that are not obvious. Along with Jones in 2000 was the British journalist John Ronson, who talks about the experience in his book, Them, Adventures with Extremists. So John Ronson, he's the guy who wrote The Men Who Stare at Goats um, about the U.S. government psychic spying program.
0: Did we talk about him in the Bilderberg group as well? Was that John Ronson?
1: Yes. Yeah, that's John Ronson. He also he also talks about the Bilderbergers also in Them Adventures with Extremists. In this book, instead of talking about the U.S. government psychic spying program, he's going around to people who believe that there are sinister conspiracies of men who rule the world And he then tries to get them to take him to like, where is the secret room where they do all their planning? And so the big Jim Tucker took him to a Bilderberg meeting and Alex Jones took him to a Bohemian Grove meeting. And afterwards, Ronson and Jones got into an argument. He got into an argument both with Jones and one of his associates about whether this was meant to be a symbolic human sacrifice. And he made a point. Ronson made a point that i think was particularly pertinent uh, could you read that for us tom sure he says they did not kill an effigy of a person i said they burned a symbol of
0: their troubles so they could enjoy their bloody summer holiday
1: yeah and i think that's actually what's going on here ronson also contacted after the event he contacted the bohemian club which gave him a statement about the care of the cremation of care ceremony
0: okay i'll read that The Cremation of Care is a musical and verse pageant heralding a two-week midsummer escape from business cares and celebrating nature and good fellowship. As grand-scale stage drama, it may be a bit overdrawn, but it's about as innocent as anything could be.
1: Well... (laughs) A a bit overdrawn is a bit of an understatement. It's ridiculously overdramatic. But reason does not suggest it's an authentic rite performed with with religious intent. It's just a goofy men's ceremony based on 19th century dramatic practices.
0: Then what about charges that the attendees are forming business and political alliances that will harm the public, rig elections and control world affairs?
1: Well, Bohemians can argue that their very slogan is Weaving Spiders Come Not Here, uh, meaning that the members are not supposed to conduct business and make agreements at club events. The Bohemian Grove Action Network, which is a group of protesters that opposes Bohemian Grove and demonstrates outside the event, they've got a website dedicated to exposing the group. And they admit on their webpage that there are even reports of members of the Grove having their quote unquote homework ripped out of their hands and thrown into the lake at the event. It's like, you're not doing any work here. Just snatch and throw that into the lake. But I think it is, I think there's more to say in favor of the charge, but within some limits. Let's look at some of the evidence that critics cite to support the claim that they're, you know, conducting business that's up to no good. First of all, it's often claimed that the atomic bomb was born at Bohemian Grove. You know, just how, look look how powerful and sinister that makes the group look, if they're the ones who issued, ushered in the atomic age. But you look more carefully at the facts and it's not really true. If you study the history of the atomic bomb, as I have, and as we will talk about in future episodes of Mysterious World, you know that the key scientific ideas for the bomb were developed elsewhere. It's not like Bohemian Grove has a physics research center there on the campground. What did happen was there was an early planning session for the Manhattan Project at the camp, but it wasn't during the July gathering when all the businessmen and stuff were there. It was in September. What happened was one of the members, the physicist Edward Teller, just booked the facility because no one else was using it at that time. And he it was essentially booking space for a meeting he could have held anywhere He just happened to pick this site because his membership privileges let him do so. And no other members of Bohemian Grove were present. I mean, he was the only Grover there. He invited a bunch of other people uh, to help him plan the Manhattan Project, but it was not a Bohemian Grove event. It just happened on their property. Uh, Similarly, another piece of evidence concerns the lakeside talks, you know, and those are Even if it's not a business deal, they're obviously not just a fun performance. There is something, you know, they're meant to be seriously informative about some subject. And they do seem to, at times, have an influence politically. In his 1978 book, R.N., Memoirs of Richard Nixon, former President Nixon talked about a couple of the lakeside talks that were important for the political careers of his predecessor, Eisenhower, and for himself. Could you read us a little passage from Nixon about the 1950 lakeside talk that Eisenhower gave?
0: Sure. After Eisenhower's speech, we went back to caveman camp and sat around the campfire appraising it. Everyone liked Eisenhower, but the feeling was that he had a long way to go before he would have the experience, the depth, and the understanding to be president. But it struck me forcibly that Eisenhower's personality and personal mystique had deeply impressed the skeptical and critical caveman audience.
1: Nixon also discussed a lakeside talk that he himself gave in 1967 before he ran for president in 68. Uh, Could you read that for us?
0: If I were to choose the speech that gave me the most pleasure and satisfaction in my political career, it would be my lakeside speech at the Bohemian Grove in July 1967. Because this speech traditionally was off the record, it received no publicity at the time, but in many important
1: ways, it marked the first milestone on my road to the presidency. You see how critics of Bohemian Grove can look at statements like that and say, you see, the club acts like a bunch of kingmakers for future Republican presidents. And there's an element of truth in that, but only an element. While a presidential hopeful attending the camp can get an audience of powerful men who may be able to assist him and, you know, fund his election bid, there's no guarantee that he's going to win the election. Neither is, I mean, it's essentially a fundraising opportunity, and let's get some support here, but politicians do that all the time. That doesn't make it a sinister conspiracy. They do it here, they do it elsewhere, it's what they do. Neither is it a guarantee that the person the Grovers like will end up as president. I mean, if it were, then probably we wouldn't have had any Democratic presidents since the 1920s, and we've had a bunch, and we also wouldn't have Donald Trump as president. given the fact that he's not a Grover and apparently doesn't have a lot of sympathy with the establishment Republicans at Bohemian Grove. So it seems to me that critics are right when they say that it's inevitable that when these movers and shakers get together, they're going to start talking about ways they can cooperate. I mean, presumably that's part of why they get bunked in camps of people with similar backgrounds, you know, like hillbillies being bigwigs from Texas and uplifters being corporate executives. But that just means they're going to get together, have a party, and do some unofficial planning at the party. But planning isn't a conspiracy. To be a conspiracy, you need to have more than an agreement. It needs to be an agreement to do something illegal. That's the definition of conspiracy. It's an agreement between two or more people to do something that is a crime. All people, you know, all kinds of people plan all the time. It's what we do as humans, it's why we're successful. And you may not like someone else's plans, you may think they're a bad idea and they're going to hurt people, but they're not a conspiracy unless they're planning to do something that is a crime. So that's what you really need to show if you want to show the Bohemian Grove people are a conspiracy, is that they're actually plotting crimes. Also, there's a a factor limiting the damage that they can do. Whatever unofficial planning they're doing is taking place in the middle of a huge party and they're getting drunk and attending plays and concerts. It's hard to effectively plan when you're sloshed most of the time (laughs) and watching performances. Frankly, I would be much more worried about groups that get together and soberly focus on business, like the Bilderbergers or the Davos World Economic Forum or the Trilateral Commission, you know, people who are actually, let's get together and conduct business, as opposed to, let's get together and have a big frat party. (laughs) Right.
0: You know, I mentioned earlier because you said that Harry Shearer, who, who does a voice acting on The Simpsons, uh, uh, yeah, has, has attended. It reminds me that The Simpsons has a recurring gag about the uh, Springfield's Republican Party that meets mm-hmm. in a dark tower where everyone wears
1: robes and they have crazy ceremonies. So, yeah, I, I'm,
0: I'm thinking it's kind of related to
1: this. Yeah. Also, uh, Harry Shearer later made a movie about uh, his Bohemian Grove experience. I mean, he fictionalized it. Yeah. And it's called uh, The Teddy Bear's Picnic. But it is considered among the most disastrously bad movies that have been made, which is surprising for me from Harry Shearer because he's a talented comedian. But I checked out the reviews. I haven't seen it, but I checked out the reviews of The Teddy Bear's Picnic, and they were uniformly venomous in how bad this film is. (laughs) Maybe he didn't remember things too clearly. <laughs> yeah.
0: So the other thing I wanted to say, though, more seriously, is the, the fact is that people who have similar backgrounds in social class become friends and they talk to yeah. one another. And there's nothing inherently immoral or illegal about people who are who are alike doing things together. Yeah, you know, that's simple. So when we bring up the illegality, what about the charges that that the group is involved in
1: crime? This is another one where I think the truth is somewhere in the middle. It, it There appears to be just no basis for the claim that the group is involved in murder. The charge may be based on a misunderstanding of what happens in the cremation of care ceremony, like where Alex Jones speculates in his video, ooh, maybe that's a real person in there. Well, right. no, it's not. But that may be where some of that charge comes from. Also, In the 1990s, there were claims that the prophecy property was being used by a sex trafficking ring based out of Nebraska and involving underage people, but the authorities investigated and concluded that the charges were baseless. Also, uh, and not just did they conclude they were baseless, a federal grand jury looked into it and concluded that the accusers repeatedly perjured themselves. And a jury agreed, and they were sent to prison for a time for perjury. So that charge was rather forcefully refuted. The one charge that I think has some traction regarding illegality is the use of courtesans of whatever sex. We're dealing with a bunch of drunken fat cats who are not all model moral citizens and who are spending two weeks away from their wives. So... Some kind of courtesan involvement, either on-site or off-site, over all the decades that this camp has been held is rather predictable. In no way excuses it, but knowing the habits of businessmen when they're away from home at conventions. Yeah that's going to have happened some. There are probably other minor crimes, too, like illicit drug use going on, the same kind of little minor crimes you'd find at any long running convention. But, you know, that raises the possibility of the degree or it raises the question of the degree to which you can really charge the club with culpability in this regard. I mean, suppose there's a convention that's held every year, For computer repair technicians, and some of the attendees at the computer repair convention decide to patronize women of low repute. Can you really blame the union that organizes the convention for that activity? It seems to me that you could, to the extent the leadership of the group knows and approves of the activity. And I think the leadership of Bohemian Grove likely knows about the activity. But what I don't know is the degree to which they approve of it. They may just view it as, well, we're all getting together for a convention, and there's no way to stop that from happening. So I don't know. Some of them might approve of it. Some of them might even engage in it themselves. But that's individuals doing it, not the group. So I don't know the degree to which we can charge the club itself with the moral turpitude of some of its members.
0: So that's the reason perspective. What can we say from the faith perspective?
1: Moral turpitude is bad. <laughs> These guys should not be getting drunk and having ribald low jinx plays and potentially getting together with courtesans. Also, their cremation of care ceremony does have overtones that are pseudo pagan, which is problematic, even if they don't mean it to be a real religious ceremony.
0: Yeah, you shouldn't play act at being a pagan.
1: Put it that way. Yeah. yeah, not that's exactly what they're doing, but it is kind of hinted. Yeah, it seems. Oh. Yeah. OK, so uh, what's our bottom line on Bohemian Grove, Jimmy? Well, I think Bohemian Grove is basically what it appears to be. I think it's a bunch of fat cats having a yearly party in the woods. I think it involves various unwholesome elements and deserves to be censured on that account. But I don't think it's a sinister world-controlling conspiracy. I think they're too drunk for that. <laughs> okay. And I'll let John Ronson have the last word because I think he has it just about right. Could you read that for us, Dom? He says... My lasting impression was of an all-pervading sense of immaturity.
0: The Elvis impersonators, the pseudo-pagan spooky rituals, the heavy drinking. These people might have reached the apex of their professions, but emotionally, they seem to be trapped in their college years.
1: Yeah, <laughs> I think that's about right.
0: Uh, all right, good. So if folks want to re- read up more, find out more about this, uh, what are our f- further resources, Jimmy?
1: John Ronson's book, Them, Adventures with Extremists, is a good resource on this and some other similar groups and people who are concerned about such groups. Mark Dice's book, Bohemian Grove's Fact versus Fiction, is also a helpful resource. Uh, Obviously, I don't agree with everything any of these authors say, but as resources, they're helpful. We have Wikipedia's article on the Bohemian Club. Wikipedia's article on Bohemian Grove, Wikipedia on the cremation of care, Wikipedia on the Grove play. That's the hijinks that close the event. And it's got a big list of just a huge number of the, uh, almost all the way back to the beginning of the Grove plays. There's Alex Jones's video of the cremation of care ceremony. But as I said, be careful. You don't take at face value what Jones is saying. And then also, a link to the web page of the Bohemian Grove Action Network, which wants to expose Bohemian Grove and that protests it regularly.
0: That's the Bohemian Grove. This week, we have mysterious feedback. And and this time, we're, we're, we have feedback on our episode on the murder of King Tut. And uh, I'll read those out. Uh, w- William sends an email. He says, I thoroughly enjoyed the podcast on King Tut. I would like to comment on the section about malaria. It would not surprise me if you have already been emailed about this. Though it is true that some viruses do incorporate themselves into DNA, not all viruses do this. More importantly, malaria is a parasitic infection and not a virus. As an example of one major difference between a virus and a parasite, a virus is so small it requires a scanning electron microscope to view. In contrast, the malaria parasite is visible under a typical light microscope.
1: And I appreciate that. Uh, William, thank you for the correction. We did get several folks who pointed out that malaria is a parasite rather than a virus. That was my mistake.
0: Kelly writes on Facebook, this was one of my favorite episodes. Years ago, I saw a documentary that discussed this theory and have been fascinated with it ever since. I think the most compelling evidence is the correspondence between the queen and the Hittite king. Her I am afraid line shows how desperate she was. Apparently, considering who came to power after Tut and the Queen's quick disappearance from history, she had a very good reason to be afraid. As a Game of Thrones watcher, I laughed at Dom's comparison of Tut to Joffrey. If there's ever a TV show dramatizing Tut's reign and what happened after, I would definitely watch.
1: Cool. And as someone who's never seen Game of Thrones, I'll have to, uh, <laughs> I'll have to let uh, you, Kelly and Dom and other Game of Thrones watchers uh, enjoy the comparison.
0: Yeah, and I'll throw it into sight here. In my house, it's become very popular to walk around uh, for someone to say, who killed King Tut? And then everyone else to say, I did it. So I just, <laughs>
1: ah. <laughs> it's become
0: a popular. Clever. <laughs> yeah. So uh, and then Brooke writes on Facebook, I'm so glad you did this episode. I've been fascinated by the murder theory ever since I listened to Bob Breyer's course a few years ago. I also can't help but wonder about Horemheb's hatred of I. If he had affection for Tut, perhaps he suspected foul play as well. I keep keep picturing uh, I as Jafar from Aladdin. They even have the same title. Loving all the ancient Egypt episodes, I wish we had more opportunities to talk about Egypt in my history department, but I only have room to dedicate one 50-minute lecture to it in my Western Civ course. So inadequate for a 3,000-year civilization. Anyway, hope you get to do many more such episodes. And then uh, as I just recently stumbled across the interview you did back before the podcast, debunking the supposed Horace Christ connection, that was really great as well.
1: Thank you, Brooke. That's uh, the uh, debunking the Horace Christ connection video is one of the most popular uh, videos on my channel. I think it's currently the most popular. Um, I agree with you. Uh, I I wonder if Horam Heb's apparently greater hatred of I and for people who haven't heard the original podcast. I was a the pharaoh who succeeded king Tut his name is spelled A Y E yes but his own successor Horemheb apparently hated I and had some affection for king Tut and I can't help but wondering is that somehow related to the possibility that Tut was murdered by I
0: and then from YouTube a comment from traditionalist who says why is he teaching about the history of pagans
1: I'm teaching about the history of pagans because it's part of history and it's uh, even part of history that is relevant to the history of the Bible, because Israel came out of Egypt. But even if that wasn't the case, it's history. And even though they're pagans, Jesus Christ died for them. And they're human beings who God loves and cares about, no matter what their mistakes were. And the idea of banishing something down the memory hole, just because it's from before the time of our religion, is something normally more associated with Muslims than Christians. Christians remember history.
0: Right. Because Christ is the king of of history. Uh, Thank you, everyone, for your feedback. We really appreciate it. We love to get it and love to talk about it. We always have much more than we can ever include in an episode. So I just want to let you know that we we do read it all and appreciate it all.
1: Yeah. Uh, We have uh, some mysterious headlines this week, Jimmy. Right. So uh, one is very timely. It's about Bohemian Grove. The newspapers recently have been covering the fact that the supervisors of Sonoma County are not all happy about providing law enforcement deputies to provide security for the all-male Bohemian Grove. And they're apparently going ahead and doing it this year, but they're talking about not doing it in the future. Also have a link to our non-Bohemian Grove Republican president, Donald Trump, talking about UFOs and what he's been briefed on. He, he, it's a very brief video, but it, he does acknowledge he's been briefed on it. He doesn't seem overly persuaded that they're extraterrestrial, but he does show respect for the pilots who are seeing things that they can't explain.
0: In a minute, I'll ask Jimmy what our next episode is going to be about. But first, I'd like to take a moment to thank our patrons who make this show possible, including Mary C., Jeffrey M., Richard H, Michael F, and Jonathan R. Their generous donations at sqpn.com give make it possible for us to continue Jimmy Aiken's Mysterious World in all the shows at StarQuest. And you can join them by visiting sqpn.com slash give. So Jimmy, what is our next episode going to be about?
1: Our next episode is going to be on the mystery of hypnosis. Mm. Uh, What is it? What does it really do or not do? Can you rely on it to recover memories of past lives or alien abductions or traumatic abuse or stuff in general? It's a central topic to a lot of the mysteries we cover here on the show. And so we're devoting an episode specifically to figuring out hypnosis.
0: So folks, listen in and see if Jimmy hypnotizes me to fuck like a chicken. So we'll, we'll see. <laughs> so that's it from us. What do you think about Bohemian Grove? Uh, is it a sinister conspiracy or is it just a, a bunch of rich guys getting drunk in the woods? So let us know by visiting sqpn.com or the Jimmy Akin's Mysterious World Facebook page. You can leave feedback there. Uh, leave a comment on the on the show. You can send us email to mysterious at sqpn.com or you can tweet us at Uh, uh, M-Y-S underscore world with the hashtag of mysterious feedback, all one word. Uh, Please, like I said at the beginning of the show, share the podcast with your friends. It really helps us to grow. It's the only way we really grow is by you sharing it. We don't advertise, really. We don't have a budget for advertising. So it's your word of mouth that has let us grow as uh, this great audience we have. So please do that. Also, uh, if you can go to Apple Podcasts or other podcast directories, And write a review those reviews are invaluable and we 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 read those too and we take your reviews into account uh but those reviews also um bump up the algorithm that that shows the the podcast to more people when they're searching for things and in fact apple is changing how some of that works so your reviews are even more important than they used to be so we really do appreciate that Uh, You can find links to the resources that Jimmy mentioned and from our discussion and links to the Mysterious Headlines on our show notes at sqpn.com slash mysterious. Until next time, Jimmy Akin, thank you for exploring with us our mysterious world. Thanks, Dom. Once again, I'm Dom Bettinelli. Thank you for listening to Jimmy Akin's Mysterious World on StarQuest.